What's going on? Oh, man. You tell me. Uh, you're the one that's had an eventful week. No, that's not true. <laughs> Condolences to the Lakers. Oh, well, you know, uh, the Nuggets, um, they're a good team, Jeff. So I I expect that to go uh, maybe four or five games. This should be their first title. So good for them, you know? Interesting. Yeah, it's good stuff. I, I it's it's always good when the better team makes anyone but Boston, right? I mean, uh, you know, suck it, Boston fans. Um, just uh, I have no love for Boston, Red Sox, Celtics, anything. No, just uh, um, anybody but them, you know. But no, I'm happy. I'm happy for Denver. I got a few friends who are actually legitimate Denver Nuggets fans. I mean, they can you know they can talk to me about Alex English and Dan Issel and some of the you know origin nugget guys you know mm-hmm. um those are those are the real fans you know those are the ones who've been around for a while you know they're oh. not the they're not the bandwagoners you know i i always I always get irritated when people it's, it's like one of two things today right uh they're they're bandwagoner fans right so they're more of a fan of a player than a team or whatever and but it used to be uh that you know if you wore a certain team's gear then it meant that you were a fan of that team but these days you know, people trying to be swagalicious and have their, uh, you know, all of their swag gear on uh, because I just like the colors, uh, you know, um, but they're not really a fan of the team. I, yeah, it's it's crazy. Uh, but the, yeah, so I'm happy for Denver. I'm, I am. I have to say that in defense of the swag stuff, I don't think purple and gold goes well with a lot. You know, it's very iconic, the Lakers colors, but I'd have to say as a fashion choice. You would be surprised. I wear purple all the time up here in North Alabama, and I I do get stares. I I do. I actually get double takes. Um, People just kind of look at me like, what? (laughs) Not red? What? Uh, You know, fashion choices, you're rocking your... uh... Pork chop express shirt today. That's right. That's right. Got a little, got a little Jack Burton love going. Um, I got two little sneaky John Carpenter shirts. There's this one, and then I have another one that's really, really obscure. Nobody has has caught this reference yet. But I have a a t-shirt that's that's an advertisement for KAB, the mm-hmm. radio station, and John Carpenter's The Fog. Fog. Yeah. And so, like, I wear that all the time. People just, you know, it's just just goes right over their head. It's okay though, you know um i'm I'm happy to stand out in my um you know in my unique swag right do you do you where did you get those did you just get them online or you know the internet is a cornucopia jeff uh it's probably like not <laughs> legal copyright. it's probably like yeah it's probably, <laughs> probably from some sweatshop in taiwan i shouldn't be buying it but uh you know um, you see these little deals, they come through, they, you know, the algorithms are right. They understand what the kind of stuff is that I'm going to be shopping for. So, um, yeah, you know, I wish I could give these companies some love. I don't even remember, you know, the yeah. name of the, the name of the company. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's been, it's that been, happens it's been, to me when I get t-shirts also, yeah. just, you know, I just, it just, <laughs> it leaves, it leaves my mind immediately. Well, we are a uh, pro union show, and uh, on top of that, we're uh, we're lonely PhDs. I'm Dr. You know, Jeffrey Hayes. Yes, you know, there's a big. Uh, sorry to to interrupt your your beautiful intro. My spiel. Um, your spiel. Um, but uh, everyone's kind of nervous in the film community here, Jeff, in Alabama, because mm-hmm. uh, Matthew McConaughey is supposed to start shooting a film called uh, the Amzia uh, Amzia King. <laughs> 
supposed to start June 12th and I've got uh I've got, got some, news. Yeah, I've got some <laughs> friends who are working on it supposedly they're supposed to start June 12th and they haven't heard any updates and I'm like, yeah, I I don't I I think pretty soon we're going to see a triumvirate uh, strike. I think SAG and DGA and is going to join forces with the with the Writers Guild and it's going to be a an even longer ordeal. So yeah, I, the advice that I that I lent out this week was you haven't heard anything no news in this case is probably not good news. I mean, that that means that, you know, it is probably going to be at least put off, put on hold um, until they can get this. But who knows? You know, I mean, it would be quite bold for them to move forward in the middle of a strike. Um, it would be quite bold. Did so, you did you catch 30 for 30 this week? I did not. Was it good? It's about American gladiators. Oh, my God. And do you know that show has come back every time there's been a writer's strike? Writer's strike. <laughs> so that is my bold prediction for August. There the you go. new version of American Gladiators, Gladiators. What we've all been begging for. 2023 American Gladiators. What, 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 what new take can they put on American Gladiators? Have we had celebrities? On American Gladiators yet? Like, like no, I don't think so. I don't you know, think so. Uh, but, but I could see them just like spinning it again as like it, you know, like really leaning into the superhero thing. You know what I mean? Like, I well, mean, that's what know, I'm saying. Like, can we, can we yeah. not get like Chris Evans versus RDJ in the obstacle course? You know, Captain America <laughs> versus Iron Man. I'd tune in for that. Yeah. I, I would. Martin Scorsese versus like Francis Coppola. Or so you see how they can get me. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, we, gotta, we just got to think like a studio executive, right? You know, how hey, are we going to get me. likes and clicks and views? And, uh, that's they're, already, they're already spinning their wheels. They already know. <laughs> I don't, I, you know, I honestly, I think they're probably just going to an AI machine, you know, software and they're just typing, what should we do? And they, <laughs> they're just letting AI solve it all. Uh, yeah, I, it's such a mess. Um, I, I hope that it gets worked out soon. Uh, you know, I, I do have really sweet people and friends here in the state yeah. who, who, you know, we're counting on that employment, uh, you know, and yeah. so it, it is, uh, it's, it's a tough time for lots of folks. So, yeah. well, we, as always, we support everyone, uh, and, uh, you know, hopefully like we were mentioning, and we've talked about it across the episode since the strikes the first strike began and hopefully not more strikes but it looks like it is angling that way so our uh, our support and please be supportive of them it's it's so important because they bring entertainment into our lives and uh you know it's just not an easy job folks it's just not an easy job nope um let's see where was i oh yes i'm dr jeffrey hayes he's dr joseph watson we're lonely phds on this show uh, uh, union concerns aside, uh, we talk about film. And this week we're going, we're going all the way back to 1981. We're getting in the time machine, and we're we're looking at fantasy films. We're we're looking at epics, my friend. Uh, we got two on the burner this week: uh, Excalibur, John Borman, 1981, and Dragon Slayer from director Matthew Robbins, also. 1981 uh well this begins with you i want to do excalibur first but i do want to say for people it's just like how did we come to this decision this week it's just like you texted me and said hey i've got dragon slayer which just came out on 4k and i was just like oh 
okay, well, I can, I can match that. I think, I think I can double down on that. And I doubled down with Excalibur, uh, John Borman's wonderful feast of the Arthurian legend. His, his very adult take on the Arthurian legend. Yeah, that was, was a yeah, that was an interesting movie, Jeff. I, I'm with, I'm looking this this movie ran on HBO nonstop when I was a kid. And I remember <laughs> I watched it like numerous times. I did not know though, in doing my research this week on Excalibur. Oh, by the way, Excalibur, just basic synopsis. It's it's the King Arthur in the Knights of the Round Table legend. I mean, it's just it, it takes from all of that the the quest for Grail, Sir Gawain, all that stuff. Borman and his screenwriter really distill it down into into about you know two hours, and it, it, it's it's just so. Vi- I mean, I got to talk first too about Alex Thompson, who was the DP on this, mm-hmm. who would go on to make Legend and also Labyrinth. He was the DP on those two films, mm-hmm. uh, which makes sense in this. I mean, this thing is a. Can, can we at least agree that this thing's a visual feast? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, from God. costumes to, uh, so, you know, they're shooting at real locations. Uh, you know, yeah, production design, cinematography, you, awesome. Did you find it at all problematic that they decided to go gritty and realistic with this instead of instead of what we were used to by that point it was either it was either animated disney had gone to the well a number of times on this you know of course i love the sword and the stone i'm not gonna mm-hmm. ever you know <laughs> take a crap on that but uh, nor the black cauldron by the way i think that's a sleeper um but uh, uh just this was kind of my first exposure to when i was younger that everything wasn't squeaky clean, you know, like, like it was like almost making history come a little bit more alive or myth come a little bit more alive mm-hmm. for me. Cause I mean, everything is just like, it's just, it's like that great scene in Monty Python and the Holy Grail where he comes up, I am off the King of the Britons. It's like, well, how do you know he's a King? Cause he's not covered in shit. You know, it's just, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's basically like the MO of this movie. Don't yes. would you say? Yes. I mean, I, so I, so I'd never seen it. Um, yes, you had told I, me. I, uh, and, and it, it, it was, I, I was the realism approach really threw me uh, at first because yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm used to movies that deal with this legend and more of a sort of a romantic fantasy or, or, you know, or it's, or it's adapted in some kind of way. Or it's a straight up comedy, you know. It's I, I think it's it's interesting that the realism, Monty Python just ruined a lot for you know because you know you see the scenes in the woods where they're like on the horses and they're you know and it's a right. beautiful shot, right? Yeah. But I keep I keep waiting for the guy with the joke know, with, the, with the yeah with the coconut. Yeah, I mean <laughs> those guys are just I mean those guys are just genius, right? But but um but the film does not let you have many of those moments right because it is so oh it's um, relentless it's it's just gritty and it's bloody and it's just you know and i'm sitting there going a couple of the fights which are you know it's great but i'm sitting there going how stupid were these dudes right and it, i mean you're wearing like hundreds of pounds of armor right out in the which I they, mean, it's, which they I, depict right I, like yeah, like yeah. when they take a big swing at someone they can't 
like they rebound. Yes. You know, and when that sword hits the armor, they're like, oh! and I'm just like, how did they, how did they, how did we get to a point where we agreed that, you know, this was like the manly uh, thing to do? I, I, I don't know. It just, it was, it was cracking me up because, uh, you know, I had the Monty Python mixed in with the, with the genuine like efforts, you know, that, that Borman and crew are, are doing to, uh, to, to present that, that reality of, how heavy how hard it would be to actually knock somebody off a horse and then you know i i i i, <laughs> I, I did though the 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 monty python stuff d- did keep sort of sort of creeping back in um so you're not but I, so you're not a big myth guy like you don't would you say that you know this isn't your sort of your cup cup of tea then yeah uh, it's not know? it's not it's probably not i mean i love some some fantasy movies and i liked excalibur i did it um it uh it's not my first go-to genre i guess i'm more of a sci-fi person um and there are considerably distinct differences between fantasy and yes. and science fiction we had a separate conversation um, about that this week as well <laughs> yeah, yeah i mean uh but i think i think for me the arthur stuff um yeah, I just I wrote down a few things as I was watching it. There were a few Justice League episodes, um, the animated show Justice League that dealt with the Arthur legend and how um, some of that stuff was coming back to you know haunt the the, the present world. Um, and they would well, have Etrigan, try- Etrigan the demon comes straight out of it. Right? Etrigan uh, um, and uh, there, Mordred is. Um, Yes, there's an there's a great Justice League episode called Kid Stuff. Um, it's from season three, I think, of Justice League Unlimited, I think. And um, they they uh, they encounter Mordred, and he turns our major heroes, you know, Batman, Wonder Woman, uh, Green Lantern, and uh, the, the Superman into little kids, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and and turns everybody in the kingdom into little into little kids, and. And and so when I saw Mordred represented in Excalibur, I was like, hmm. Frightening. Not only is this like dead on frightening, but it but it instantly <laughs> it instantly took me to this idea that um you know George Martin with Game of Thrones like owes so Huge much dead. to to both of these movies. But I mean, yes. um uh but I mean just outright. Right, like Excalibur. I mean, they're just ripping this movie off, right, in in a number of ways, right. Um, and then, of course, uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, you know, where he he goes after the Holy Grail. Um, and then I, there was this other movie that annoyed me, and it only annoyed me, Jeff, because I was working at Blockbuster Video at the time, and this was one. It's called First Night. Right, it was oh, Sean, that movie's awful. Sean Connery and Richard, Richard well, Gere. It, it's this narrative, right? But it, but it, it um, <laughs> it's clean and wonderful. <laughs> it's Doctor Watson and, is it, making the puking uh, And if you're out there listening and you're going, "Oh, I love that movie. It's so pretty and sweet." We'll just have to agree to disagree. You were one of those people that were coming into Blockbuster asking for that movie nonstop because it was never on the shelves. It was a big hit, um, and a, and a lot of people liked it. But that those are kind of the exposures that I've had to this, you know, to this uh, story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, very few of us can remember the Richard Harris musical Camelot. Oh, I love it. 
I've seen Camelot on stage. I've seen it on screen. Um, it's if ever I would leave. Man, see, look at that. Didn't take much to get me to sing to I mean, (laughs) show tunes. You'll get me every time. That's that's all I had to do. Um, uh, Camelot was the best picture winner. Yep. Yeah. I mean, so, so, you know, I, I definitely can see where Borman comes in with, with Excalibur and says, this is a take that hasn't really been done before, right? Let's see, we're going to go full realistic. Well, he, he wanted to make Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Oh. And they pulled that out from under him and he had done all this work. So he refocused and instead looked at the Arthurian legend and mm. began applying a lot of that. Mm. To, could you imagine his Lord of the Rings? I, I, I mean, wow. Well, it would have been just, epic. It would have been sweeping. I mean, I think like... I mean, and we had had the animated. Yes, we had the back sheet. That, yeah. Right, right. The Rankin yeah. and Bass in the back sheet. Yeah. Which is, yeah, it's, it's, it's good in its own Pretty intense when you actually go back and watch uh, Return of the King. Because they only did The Hobbit in Return of the King. They didn't do The Two Towers. Um, and, of course, you can't beat it when you've got John Houston doing Gandalf in the voiceover. You know, so, I mean. It, it's, I mean, it's those pretty, movies are not. Yeah, those movies are not bad at all. Um, but, I mean, I think, obviously this is an example of where effects right like the the sophistication of special effects capacity is what enables stories you know like lord of the rings to eventually be told in a in a quote unquote proper way or a or a respectful way right or a, a way that does it justice right um because of the the scale and the imagination that goes into um i mean just, goes just into those books the, the also just with borman the whole conceptualization of small things like the lady in the lake. I mean, that's such a beautiful idea about yeah. just the hand, you know, coming out and the way it has that greenish, silvery, goldish tint to, you know, you just, I just, I'm just dazzled by the small things like that or, or the way that, I hope you noticed the way the color green actually played out in this film and in, in mm-hmm. so many sequences. Um, it was it was just such a prevalent color and just coming to those decisions and sticking with them. And then just you've got fantastic over the top performance by Nicole Williamson as as Merlin. <laughs> um, <laughs> and if you if you peek at the credits. You know, so many people in this film. There were so many people, dude. Uh, Helen Mirren, who, you know, stunning woman, oh. right? Uh, and and is so great in this. Liam Neeson's in this. Patrick Stewart. Uh, Gabriel, Gabriel Byrne. Byrne. Patrick Stewart is amazing, right? You see him come through there and you're like, oh my God, it's Captain Picard. You feel like you and want to stand up on the <laughs> Captain on the bridge. Captain on the bridge. On the bridge. <laughs> I did. So you do have those, and he was so young looking, right? And it was just like, oh my god, that's Patrick Stewart. Um, yeah, I, I was really, uh, I was really swept up in it, and I think that's that's a true testament to it. It's it is it is two hours and some change, but it's it's it keeps moving. Uh, you know, it, I, I never got bored. I never got you know. I just got kind of lulled into much like the other movie dragon slayers just sort of lulls you into this world building 
Right. And, uh, and if you allow yourself to be carried into it, uh, the, the amount of detail, as you're saying, and the realistic sort of approach, mm-hmm. it does. If you give in, it'll take you there pretty quickly and it'll keep you there in that world. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I was, I was, I was very taken by, I think maybe it's because the other adaptations or the, the, the versions that I've, mm-hmm. I've been exposed to the story didn't. This movie, I think, really focuses on the redemption part of the story. You know, I mean, I found myself getting really swept up in like... There's just so much tragedy. Yes. You know. But yet they were able to find some forgiveness and there was some... Oh, it's heartbreaking at the end. Yeah, yeah. You know, that 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 the the end of the legend itself is very heartbreaking. But you know, having to kill your own uh uh son, basically, you know, face your own son on the battlefield, it doesn't matter that he's he's inbred. It's it's just like it's still your son, you know. And and you know the nuance I got from watching it this time, and I've probably seen this film at least seven or eight times, at least. Wow. Um and I own a copy of it too. I, you know, I, I just, I enjoy the way that Borman sort of predict, uh, not, uh, or, or represents, shows masculinity. Mm. Like, like you're talking about, just like, how in the hell did these people survive? You know, it's just like, yeah. they're, they're oafish, they're boorish, they're quick to temper, things like this. But like you said, we take a journey in this film. And by the end, you know, it is forgiveness that is the most powerful thing. You know, he doesn't want to do it. He doesn't want to go through with it. He's revitalized again by, you know, drinking uh, from the grail. But it's just, I don't know. I found a particular heartbreak on this watch at the very, maybe it's the age I'm at. Maybe I'm getting older. I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't know. But, you know, uh, there's definite, you know, things here about, that you can change as, as a male, that you can mature, that your outlook and your perspectives can sort of be on, you don't have to be static. And if that if that's what makes a good leader, then so be it. It's kind of also what I was left with, you know, at the end of it, if that's the true test of good leadership is maturation, you know, and, and willing to, look at all of the things and make the tough decisions, you know, maybe, or maybe, you know, what, what do you think? I, I'm just, those are well, kind no, of I mean, I, I, I think we probably got, got hit with the same stuff, you know, because it, 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 it was when, when it takes that turn and it's really sort of the last 30 minutes um, mm-hmm. uh, and you start seeing the, um, the revisits, right? Like, you know, when he finds Lancelot. Um, oh uh, God, when he finds him having an affair with Guinevere. Stick in the soil. Oh man! Yeah, that's such I mean, a beautiful I, sequence. It is, um, and uh, you know when they discover each other again. You know when when Arthur finds Guinevere, yeah. you know in the nunnery. Uh, you know it's 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 like there is that sense of uh, we've lived a life, and and here we are at this point. Um, none of the other stuff matters. What matters is that you know we we can we can forgive each other and we can stay together and we can move on and 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 um yeah the, the that battlefield sequence you know just even the way that it's shot with that spear you know it it it's quite powerful um and it is tragic jeff and i think that's probably why it hit us is we've we've matured 
hopefully. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, and we can see those stories differently now, you know, I mean, I, I, I thought too, that one of the things that really stood out in the movie was how, uh, the religious stuff was, was, was playing out, you know, and how, uh, and, the, and there's, the, there's the end of magic. <laughs> yeah. There's some the of that in of Christianity. There's some of that in dragon slayer as well, but, but I think, uh, in this movie, it's even more sort of pronounced, you know, that this this idea of the monotheistic sort of way of thinking is is coming into being, and the the um, you know the gods, the magic, the uh, the the part of the world that sort of run its course, or its its time is now is the time of man, right? Is what Merlin keeps saying. Um, that I, I think, yeah, it's that it's that transition of of time and eras and i think you feel that emotionally um through the story and because it, it takes you through that that transition say oh well this is the time of men well this is how tragic it's going to end up when you right. when, when you leave men when you put men in charge um uh and well, it, 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 there's that biblical component too at the end you know with um the sacrifice of the son and the, the i mean yeah so all of it is probably hitting on those yeah. on those emotional levels and they're going to put him on the ship to valhalla right like i mean it's you, know, <laughs> you go to your final reward uh in that in that old in that old in the oldest mythic sense uh you know as it were but yeah i i just my my only question mark i laid over this film and rewatching at this time was that i still don't get why for a period of time in film they used that type of like Vaseline lighting, that very light <laughs> lighting. You know what I mean? You know what I'm talking about? Is this like where where it's just like, am I watching Emmanuel or am I watching? <laughs> yeah. What, these what, days, what's... these days in editing, Jeff, you you just go over to the effects tab and you it's called the gossamer blur. The gossamer you, blur. You just kind of slide it over <laughs> to your image. And then you can adjust how like uh, blurry and and sort of yeah. mystical, magical you want to make it. Um, uh, on set, if you're wanting to do it naturally, you, you need a lot of Atmos. You need a lot of uh, smoke and 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 which fog they do. There's, yeah, yeah. There's a lot going on. Yeah. It must have just been. It kind of had to have been a little miserable. Honestly. But it looks it looks it looks beautiful. I actually oh, yeah. saw a 4K transfer of it, and oh, you um, did, yeah. And it was it was beautifully restored and transferred. Um, you know, and the sound mix was really good too. Um, oh, good. So you get pumped up, right? Oh, I got a great. Yeah, I I both of these movies I saw uh, in 4K transfers, and they were just they've they've done the right th they obviously understand that both of these movies have really strong fan bases and it's you know they're cult classics and so they knew that if they wanted to sell them they were going to have to do a, a great job on the transfer um and so uh yeah some of that cinematography and the use of color and it's really really nice uh in that transfer so i highly recommend seeing it in that frame um even though I guess a purist in me would say, no, you got to find a 35 millimeter print and you got to show it on a big screen like they did. And I, I, I don't know. No, just be realistic. Yeah, just be realistic. <laughs> Let's all be 20, realistic. 2023, be realistic. Um, yeah. But uh, uh, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a good film. I don't know if I, I don't know if I call it a great film. 
It's a no. really good film. It's uh, Borman is 90 years old, Jeff. He's still around. He's still around. Um, which makes me, I'm wanted, I'm like, let's, let's get him on our podcast. Let's get him to interview oh, on our goodness. podcast. Um, I, well, he, he's apparently still pretty active and still talking to people. I, I did do a small deep dive on him because I, you know, I saw Deliverance, which was, I guess, what kind of put him on the map, I guess. Um, uh, well, actually, I would say the, the, the Lee Marvin that, movie, the point. Uh, oh, point blank. Okay. Point yeah, blank. Yeah, that put him yeah. on the map. Love, um, oh God, I love that movie. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty good noir crime picture, yeah. right? Yeah. Yep. Not to be confused with the Patrick Swayze point blank, which was in the 90s, uh, Patrick and Keanu. Uh, but yeah, so Deliverance, I'd seen Deliverance. Deliverance is horrific and creepy. Ooh, um, yeah, it's a rough watch, man. I mean, a very disturbing movie. And then I was looking at his filmography and I was like, well, then he went from Deliverance to doing The Exorcist Part 2, mm-hmm. which is considered by many to be one of the worst movies ever made. Um, well, that, the cut of it is. Uh, I, I, would, I would argue that there's probably, there's probably an edit of it that, that is better. But I, I, I just, yeah, I don't know. Well, what's out there is, is, is pretty bad. bad. Um, but then he goes out of that into into Excalibur and then the Emerald Forest, which is. But a wait, didn't he? Where was Zardoz? Because Zardoz, Zardoz was eighty four. Was, was it eighty four? Yeah, it was after this. Oh wow! I thought it was in the seventies. Yeah, no, I mean I could be wrong, but I, from okay. what I, I I don't have it directly in front of me. Yeah. But um, Zardoz, for those of you who don't know, that is, is a strange flick. Don Connery, <laughs> very strange science fiction fantasy mix blur. I, it's a very bizarre movie. Um, but the Emerald Force is beautiful, beautiful and then he, he did I think probably his best. I would argue his best film. Is hope and glory going? To which hope and glory. Was, I was going to uh, say you're going to hope and glory. Late 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 eighties. That's late eighties. <laughs> yeah. Um, but since then, you know, nineties, two thousands, you know, he sort of kind of faded back, and you know, there's a few credits here and there, but nothing, nothing really huge. Um, so I do think that he's kind of one of those eighties, seventies, eighties directors. Who would dip their toe into different things? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we say that they get. Does John Borman get his due in the annals of cinema history? That's where I'm going with this. You know, okay. do we need to give him more flowers and more snaps, or does he? Uh, does, does has he had enough? You know, I've seen where BAFTA has done a lot of awards for him. That's the British, mm-hmm. sort of the British Oscars. They they've they've uh, given him some flowers, and so I just you know much like. Um, <clears throat> Matthew Robbins with with Dragon Slayer, some of these people working in the seventies and eighties, you know, they might not have been Spielberg or Lucas, but they they did a lot of work uh, and a lot of yes. quality work that um, probably hasn't gotten as much love or attention as it as it should have in mainstream uh, movie stuff. Um, so you have to dig into the into the historical annals to really sort of figure out where these people reside. Uh, in the grand scheme of things, but Borman, I think you you got to put Borman up there with the with oh, the. Oh, he deserves his, his yeah. due, Absolutely. especially especially after seeing this. I mean, I, I, you know, The Emerald Forest is a great movie. I I love that, and um, but this movie, 
I mean, you could definitely tell he had the budget, he had the crew, he had the, you know, the story was very well, um, was very well structured. Um, and he, it was, it's a very confident movie. And so it's, yeah, it's, it's, um, it, it may get elevated in my opinion to being one of, if not his best. I, I do. I think he's, uh, he's talented. I'm just glad I could throw you for a loop this week. You did. And I, you know, and it's rare, Jeff, I've seen so we, both of us have seen so many movies, but um, it's even more bizarre to find a film from the eighties that I haven't seen. Um, and I, and I did get confused about it because there was another, there was another movie. You that did came you with, tell me about it. Uh, Quest for fire. And then there was another one called the sword and the sorcerer. Yes. Um, terrible. Uh, that terrible came, movie. This coming out. Yeah. Um, so I just got them all conflated um, when I was thinking about it. Well, but but yeah, as soon as that's, I... that's, that's the thing too, is like the early eighties, we had this sudden, you know, onslaught of fantasy films. You yes. know, Conan, Conan did so well. Right. Like that's where we start with Emilius film uh, with Schwarzenegger. I mean, that just opened the floodgates for all of these, you know, for this sort of resurgence of fantasy. So I wrote some of them. I wrote some of them down. Beastmaster. Oh, God. Crawl. Crawl. Yeah. Legend. Legend. Labyrinth. Mm-hmm. Lady Hawk. Oh, Lady Hawk. Yeah. Gordon the Sorcerer. Uh, Conan. Um, and so, you know, it's like one, two, three, it's like seven or eight movies there yeah. within a three, four year time span where you can definitely tell yeah. that they were, they were really, fantasy was big. Like it was, you know, it was, it was making money. Um, and, uh, I think it was also wonderful practice ground for all of the superstars at ILM to start pushing boundaries and figure out how to do effects that aren't spaceships or you know aliens um <clears throat> which is also really you know uh, really cool um because uh i think ilm you know part of their fantastic development and growth was being challenged by content like this right uh, but it's having dudes come in and say well let's do a dragon or let's do you know uh well d- 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 hold that thought real quick so, so yeah sure we're, let's let's circle back now too because this will all tie into dragon slayer uh we're Lonely PhDs. I'm Dr. Jeffrey Hayes. He's Dr. Joseph Watson. We just got done talking about Excalibur, John Borman's 1981 take on the and legend. Uh, up next, it's Dragon Slayer uh, from Matthew Robbins, also in 1981. So continuing our conversation about this is all during this, this, this gold rush of fantasy films uh, in the early to mid 80s. Uh, and we can definitely say the one to put its ILM stamp on something is Dragon Slayer, uh, because they were actually this was, if my reading was correct, this was their first non-Star Wars film that they worked on. Correct. So I found that very very fascinating as I was as I was rewatching this. But but for our listeners, what, what's Dragon Slayer? So Dragon Slayer is a fantasy film. Uh, that's about a young wizard's apprentice named Galen, played by Peter McNichol, who is sent on a mission to slay a dragon that terrorizes a kingdom. And along the way, he meets a what we think is a beautiful prince named Valerian, played by Caitlin Clark. More on that in a moment. Who is also on a quest to kill the dragon. The dragon's name is 
Vermithrax pejorative, by the way, which is a wonderful name. Um, because the okay, so Valerian's town has been choosing a virgin female sacrifice for the dragon via this bizarre rigged lottery system. And Galen and Valerian team up to sort of defeat the dragon and save the kingdom, but they, you know, they have to face a lot of obstacles and challenges along the way. Um, but I think the film really stands out for um its kind of straightforward fantasy uh narrative combined with its very impressive special effects but the sort of dark gritty tone of the movie is really what's i think sort of drawn the cult following throughout the years because it's not it's the effects mixed with the fact that this was not a light-hearted kids movie it was a dark fantasy right um and this was a this was a co-production between yes. uh, between Disney and Paramount and Paramount, yeah. yeah, and the first time that they had um, that they had offered to do that. So anytime you put Disney's name on something, it's going to have some 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 pretty pretty significant budget stuff behind it. I about forty percent of the movie, according to Robbins himself, uh, there's a tremendous amount of special features on the 4K uh, blue, and I watched them all because they were all amazing. Um, and uh, Robin said that about 40% of the budget was to uh, was headed to effects. Peter Admonson, Phil Tippett, and Dennis Murin, who are ILM legends, um, they were um, pretty much key players in the post-production of the movie. Uh, post-production took about eight months. There were about 150 to 160 composite shots to do. Um, I think the big one of the big cinema history things to take away from this movie is the first time that they incorporated, uh, and this was Phil Tippett and Dennis Murin who kind of pushed for this, but the first idea to uh, to incorporate something called go motion, which is sort of a variation of stop motion. Um, and they, as they were explaining it, um, they had this, you know, they had this model right of the dragon that was hydraulic and, and mechanized, um, but the movement was programmed through a computer right. so during shooting the computer moves the model while the camera the is moves. doing its own thing which resulted in a motion blur which makes the animation of the dragon more convincing um robin yeah go ahead uh, no i would say and for people to understand this a little bit it's just like anytime you see the millennium falcon fly or x-wings in the sky it's the same concept yes right I mean, they they ILM invented a computer controlled motion control system that directly correlates with the camera to make movements, and that was what was so revolutionary about making the models seem realistic and everything. Just take it to that next level, as it were. They had about sixteen total dragon puppets uh, of various molds and sizes. The big one was forty feet and um, was uh, was completely hydraulic. Uh, and so, you know, from an effects and Robbins, you know, Matthew Robbins said it himself on the on the uh, the discs commentary that, you know, the ILM guys were actually kind of getting a little bored because they hadn't been pushed because they kept, you know, they had figured out how to do a lot of the effects for space stuff. But, you know, Robbins was like, well, we wanted to push them and say, OK, how do we do something that's grounded on Earth? And, you know, putting it in a fan, like, can you do a dragon? Can you, you know, can the dragon interact with a, you know, with a live actor? How, you know, how's that going to work? Um, and, and 
I just love the effects in this, but they still hold up. They're I hold, so I stand good. by it. Um, and, uh, and I got to give some props to the sound folks on this movie too, because the sounds of that dragon are so cool and terrifying uh, at the same time. And you, you said it yourself. One of the, we were talking about this last week, one of the best scenes in this movie, and it does have to do with these little puppets, you know, these little, mm-hmm. is the dragon's kids. Yes. When you find those babies and they're eating that, that, pr- oh, it's horrible. that is not a kid's movie, right? So it's yeah. like, I, I mean, I remember, you know, being, I'm getting to go see it. I was young, but like getting to go see it because it was PG, right? But yep. there's, there's nudity, nudity. <laughs> and there's, I know we're such like 70s, 80s nerds, right? There was nudity in it. Oh my God. Um, and, uh, uh, and there's a lot of gore. I mean, there's some graphic shit that goes down. I mean, we see, we see um, immolation, like full blown yeah. immolation. Yeah. It, it's, yeah. it's pretty rough. <laughs> um, uh, they used, uh, he said, it's another fun thing. They used uh, military grade flamethrowers not surprised to produce the dragons like uh breath and and stuff like that so little 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 tricks of the trade uh were just fascinating so i would be remiss jeff if we in addition to the effects did not discuss the cast of this movie because um they were relatively unknowns at the time that they were cast uh caitlin clark who plays at the beginning Prince Valerian, you later learn that it's Princess Valerian and that um, uh, Valerian has been raised to present herself as male uh, and to dress and perform and, uh, you know, masculinity uh, to avoid being entered into the lottery, right? So that um, she would not be sacrificed or uh, to, uh, to the dragon. So some interesting, it's interesting to watch that in 2023, and to go well here here's another like just you know oh it's a person dressing as a different gender and presenting as a different gender and you know it's a, yeah uh it's it's not that strange folks uh so um <laughs> just sliding that in there um also ralph richardson oh, the great ralph richardson who's just so uh, there's there's something about his and it's it's in the first little bit when we first meet him Ulrich, he plays Ulrich, the, the the Grand Wizard. He says that little incantation to turn the lights on. Isn't it great? Because you're just you're just like here's one of the old school showmen, right? Uh, who's putting on a little performance? You and know? that's how they present him in magic in general in this film. You know, it's just like it is showmanship. Like, yes. You know, from the robe and the hat and the, you know, he's like getting ready for a perf- like when they come to see him, mm-hmm. he has to get dressed up for it, right? Yeah. He has to dress the part. Yes. Um, and then, not I, I, I don't think it's spoiling anything for anybody, but I mean, you know, very shortly after that, I mean, I think this is the first fifteen minutes of the movie. Um, you know, his character doesn't find a very a very happy uh, outcome to something that he sort of challenges, right? Uh, somebody for so that scene where That's he gets, it's intense, man. Those windows shut in the castle. Cause Galen's trying to, he's, you can, you can oh, hear you know, in the background, oh, just Baylor, you know, somebody stop this. Oh my God. It's heart wrenching. It's heart wrenching. And, um, uh, and powerful. Like you, you, you just, 
there aren't a lot of movies these days that start off like that, right? With like, here's a major actor who's very known, very well respected. We think it's a very huge character. And then all of a sudden, 15 minutes later, that character's not there, right? So how is this movie going to recover? And I think that's one of the coolest things about this movie is that we see a hero learning to become a hero who doesn't have any kind of real legitimate special powers. Right. Is that fair? Like, I mean, we, no, you no, know, it's, it's completely fair, but it's also been part of the criticism of the film is that it, it just, it leans too heavily on the star Wars model. Oh, you know, that, you know, mm. and, and, but, but, you know, in star Wars defense, and I was just saying like, you know, from, from critical standpoint, uh, you know, that, that, that comes from mythology too. And, Campbell and the hero of a thousand faces and all of this stuff so I'm like people relax like this wasn't you know just because it got tuned culturally a certain way doesn't mean that it is just unique to that one area I mean would you agree right no no I would agree um and I would I would think that um I mean Excalibur plays with the same thing right it's the hero's journey Yes. You know, only he can pull the sword from the stone. That doesn't give him any special powers. It just means that his daddy said that he could pull the sword from the stone and right. know, try to try to live up to his lineage. Right. Right. Um, so I enjoyed that trajectory. You know, oh, I mean, I, did too. I, yeah. I liked it. I think it helps the fact that, you know, Peter McNichol is is was not, you know, maybe he's more well known now than he was then. But I mean you know, who is this kid, right? It just sort of amplified that, you know, well, this isn't Harrison Ford, you know, this isn't Mark Hamill, right? This is, this is Peter McNichol, right? Like, who's, you know, so the casting choice, uh, I think lent itself, you know, to that that sense of authenticity and the sense that this is really a fresh noob uh, who's got to figure out the tricks of the trade um, and, um, and sort of take the place, right, of Ulrich if he can, um, pick up the baton, so to speak, uh and uh and and fight the beast um it's a classic hero's journey uh kind of trajectory but, but he is a bit of a prick at the beginning well, he's he's a little bit of a snot-nosed kid right he's the you I mean, know he i love on that his old like overseer in such an awful way i mean i found myself in those that one scene where he like disrobes him and throws his his thing away i was just like Geez, what a dick! <laughs> Certainly, uh, but again, that's a... part of it. Like th- that's you know, I mean, that's young and maturation. Yes, right? yes. Like, what we were yes. talking about. Like, There's that word know. again. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. Um, yeah. He and and I think it's through a series of of really kind of tragedies, right? That he experiences, that he earns his stripes, right? That he earns his 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 maturation. Um, was the, uh, was the gender reveal thing? I mean, we were talking about how funny it was when we were in our, you know, younger, younger years and that, that pond scene, lake scene where he dives in and all of a sudden you see that there's female anatomy, right? I mean, you know, that was a, was that a shocking thing for you? Like, did it surprise you? Were you, I mean, no, I think I, I, I think I was maybe. 10 or 11 when I saw this for the first time. Oh, when I was then, I, absolutely. Yeah. Like it was, it was, it had me. Oh my God, that's a girl, you know. Right. It was like, it was such a, <laughs> but as, as we were also alluding to last week, we were discussing it just in a cursory way. It was just, 
how it kind of gave you interesting introspection into your own feelings about how you see gender. It's just like, hold on a second. So it's okay that they kiss, right? Like you found yourself at that time, you know, at that age going, it's, it's a girl and a boy, right? Like, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just like it, I, I think that that raises really interesting questions. I mean, I would, I would show the first half hour of this film and then see, you know what I mean? Like with students and see right. what, what their reactions were. And to just see what pops back and, and, uh, and, and to get some kind of commentary or discussion going on. Because I, I would venture to say that, uh, you know, this current gen would be like, what's the big deal, right? Um, but I mean, uh, yeah, there, 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 there were definitely those moments where uh, you're just thinking, is that, okay, but that's okay because it's really a girl, right? There was some sort of like, you know, condoning, right? That it was like, well, that's okay because we understand why she was performing male. Uh, obviously, you know. Now we do. Now we do. Uh, <laughs> but we didn't at the beginning, right? Um, uh, and so, and the fact that it had to stay a secret, you know, I mean, that's just, I, I don't know. It's just, I think that there's interesting things that folks can pull out of that um i'm oh, no, not absolutely. i'm not an expert in that area but i certainly think that people could talk about um you know the psychology behind that um for sure and it's an early example you know of something that you know it's not done for comedic purposes right i mean no. it's, you know is this is this is not some like a hot right um no this is deadly serious this is her life on the line right right you know and her um, father trying to protect her you know um but yet she doesn't really want to do it anymore. You know, no. She wants to, again... She wants to be, be her authentic herself. self. She wants yes. to be her yes. authentic self. Yes. Yeah, yes. there's a lot to be said for that. Um, and and having been, uh, having been uh, forced to present masculine has adopted a lot of, you know, uh, what we would call, I guess, traditionally masculine behaviors, right? It would have been I mean, cool if she had like picked up a sword and something. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like wanted that, to see her like in a training montage or something. Yeah, or just in in a fight. Yeah. Of some sort. We never we never get that. Maybe there's you know, there might have been footage of it and it just had to go. Maybe. I, I mean, you know. Maybe. I could I could I could see what a wasted opportunity that would have been. Yeah. That yeah. Was, honestly. Um, did you know that this movie was shut down for a number of months because of bad weather. Um, oh. And uh, they uh, also had some struggles with this. I found this part of the, this, this was on the special features um, where they talk about how great it was to have Disney as a distribution partner, but Paramount actually at the time had declared bankruptcy. So, um, <laughs> so they were shut down for, uh, for, for, you know, a couple of, a couple of times because um, one was for weather and the other one was because of this uh, financial situation, the money sort of stopped right in post-production. Um, and, uh, and, and because of the distribution deal, I think Disney had to step in and kind of make some things work, but you know, this would have been a risk. I'm surprised Disney got involved in this though. You know I mean? This would have been a risk oh, no. for their, for their I'm family. Not because name. This was, this was yeah. the beginning of Buena Vista pictures. Yeah. This was the beginning of Pete's Dragon. 
Well, you've got Pete's Dragon, yeah. The Black Hole, Something Wicked This Way Comes, uh, Watcher in the Woods. You know, all of these, they were trying to embrace the, at the time, what wasn't known as the young adult market, really, uh-huh. for film. Right. You know, it was in literature, but it certainly wasn't in film. Uh, this is a unique time. I mean, Secret of Nim is thrown in there. I know that's not a Disney thing, but, um, you know, studios were gambling on trying to find this new middle ground, right? This new demographic to, that could, uh, you know, that, that mom and dad could still go to the movie with their kid, but yet the, it wasn't completely, you know, Mickey Mouse, Donald Duck, you know, or the computer wore tennis shoes or, you know, and it's no knocking against those. Right. But uh, it, it just, they were trying and ultimately it was an experiment that failed, you know, financially. Uh, you know, I, I can't remember whether Tron really helped put the nail in the coffin or not, but uh, it's definitely in the conversation. Yeah. Yeah, were they? Uh, I mean, we should probably do a deep dive on on where that uh, that turn, like whether whether it was a specific movie or whether it was just the string of movies that that you just mentioned, which are all, by the way, fantastic movies. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, um, even and, and even it, it pains me to say this, even Coppola's The Outsiders right belongs yeah. in this conversation because that yeah. is an that is an exemplary movie based on an exemplary book about the struggles of young adulthood yes um if if <laughs> and lord help me saying this uh he got it right you know with that film he did get it right ladies and gentlemen dr hayes just complimented <laughs> francis ford coppola take note on this date because it won't happen often <laughs> i assure you <laughs> um no you're right we're we're right on the cusp in this 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 is like coming up on 1984 which is according to ben affleck like the seminal year right where everything i mean um karate kid yep. is not far behind this there was another movie too that i remember called tex that came out around that yeah yeah um uh so you're right there's a cadre of movies um that are specifically addressing youth yeah innocence and loss of innocence uh that that sort of coming of age drama uh where they were really trying to capitalize on that uh that teenage audience and then of course i guess i i would say that a movie like stand by me probably the capper just right, the capper, right? right? I mean, because yeah. there's not really very many movies that do that story better than Stand By Me. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, but um, but yeah, and all the John Hughes comedies are are starting in the early '80s around this. Right, time. but these are know, but these two, so. you know, we're we're just looking at at least in this context, we're looking specifically at more dramatic, you know, or really, you know, not horror movies, but movies that have horrific elements in them because what is more apropos than the metaphor of growing up is part that's so horrific <laughs> right <laughs> you know? well I mean, and, and i mean we'd be remiss if we didn't even though it's not it, it is a drama but the breakfast club is like right yes. in this time frame as well because we all know that when you grow old your heart dies <laughs> that is from the breakfast club folks club, yeah. um uh 
so yes, there is very much a sense of um, of that uh, just a market transition, right? Of um, where the 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 movies that are coming out, the stories that are coming out, are, are really all about this sort of uh, turn. I guess coming of age is, for lack of a better term, um, but well, serious and, and we, stuff, we, right? And we haven't seen. You know, it went back to infantilization, you know, again, like when, when a- after this, you know, yes. never again did, did it come close, you know, and other, other than making, you know, horrible teen slasher films, yeah, really have no bearing on anything that we're talking, you know, as far as the context of these types of films, you know, these types of films had substance and they had something to say, um, it's 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 a rough ride and it makes me wonder about you know do people still show their kids these films now or do they shelter them from it and i say shelter i don't mean that in in a negative I, i apologize it's not me being rude i'm just curious because i a lot of our friends who have kids will openly say to us no we didn't we did not show them this film yeah, I haven't. Uh, I mean, I I did show those movies to uh, to Kobe. Um, we have not ventured into showing those to Zoe yet. She's thirteen, so I I've, I I think. And you do have to skew it because I I know we 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 tend to think as as I'm going to talk to the parents uh, in in 2023. I'm going I'm to mute now. Go ahead. Uh, it's it's. <laughs> We tend to have this this um, uh, problem where we think that because something was controversial or rated R or something like that forty years ago, that it's still going to be a huge deal in twenty twenty three. Sometimes it 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 might be, but uh, other times it's not going to be a big deal because. What you know? What was huge to us, and what was controversial, what was profane? These these kids are hearing on TikTok like every. I mean, it's it's not it's not a the gauge and the bar has moved so much, you know, since then. Um, so really, what I do whenever we whenever we do, and I recently this week we watched uh, she and I watched Cloak and Dagger, right? Oh wow! Um, Talk about it. There's another one. Another one from the from yeah. the '80s. It's one of those gems that I love, right? And and every time I show her, I'm like, okay, this is a movie that was really important to me growing up so she she knows the mo right if i'm going to show it to her then it's going to be something that meant a lot to me as a kid and you know just explain why right and um the stuff that that i thought that was controversial about cloak and dagger which is some of the violence and some of the danger that those kids are in i mean there's real there's people are really serious danger the kid there davy actually kills somebody at the end of that movie and um uh you know huge that's huge is it like a 12 year old kid like shooting somebody um obviously it's a bad it's a bad guy but still i mean you know there's that moment where he's you know zoe didn't that was not even a thing that was not something she was more interested in how the imaginary friend and how that conversation how jack black's like conversation is like how can he hold real objects and if he's just a if, you know if, she was more interested in that storyline so you never know is where i'm going with this you never know i always try to revisit it once myself before so i'm not surprised especially if i haven't seen it in 20 or 30 years 
you know, it's like, let me, let me get a handle on it so that I, you know, because it's, it's sometimes it's the subtle things that you don't know are going to trigger them. Uh, and by them, I mean, just younger generation because they're just, they're just looking at it with completely different lenses. Um, and there's nothing wrong with it. No, not at all. Not at all. And, 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 and in so many ways, that's why I'm sharing it is I'm fascinated and I'm wanting to see what's going to stick around and, you know, and what's, what's not, uh, you know, what's, what's kind of lost its, I guess, luster, so to speak, yeah. um, lost its, uh, lost its theme. Um, the other one that I subjected her to, and you'll probably laugh at this. And so will the audience was Howard the duck. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, Jeff, she loved that movie and I, and we were okay. laughing through the whole, th- I mean, she, she just uh, like halfway through, she goes, this is probably one of the craziest movies I've ever seen. I mean, it was like, cause it, that movie is like all over it the is, place. And, it is bananas. And, and I will tell you that the one thing that sticks around in that movie, that, that is something that parents should be, is the, is the human to duck sexuality the the animal stuff that they that they think is funny and kind of tease. I don't know what was going on in our. Well, we also have point. like a nude female duck. Yes. 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 In the beginning. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, and so it's just I I just I don't know how that movie got made. I it's just crazy, but um you know it's one of those cult classics that I just watch because I I I see how bad it is, you know, and so it's cheesy for oh, me. It's real bad. It but I I love the cheese. Me love the cheese. But um but yeah, she she was totally totally wrapped up in it. Liked it, you know. Thought Howard was cute, and it, but the but the stuff with the she was like, Dad, how like how how is that even like is that even possible and i'm doing exactly what you do i was shaking my head like no no it's just weird bizarre humor it's like remember when we saw back to the future and remember that moment when when his his mom tries to like kiss him in the car i don't know what was going on in the 80s they had some weird twisted sense like (laughs) man it was it was just it was freud's playground (laughs) just all over the place that should be the 80s like Freud's playground, the 1980s. Freud's that'll be our that'll be our complete 80s retrospective series of episodes. We'll just there call you go. Freud, we'll just call it Freud's playground. Freud's playground. There you go. Oh well, if you have questions for us, you can email us loanthephds at gmail.com, uh, or you can go in our show notes and click on the link to our Discord where we discuss all things film. Uh, if you would please uh, subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Pod, Bean, Google, or wherever you get your podcasting needs taken care of. And until next time, I'm Dr. Jeffrey Hayes. I'm Dr. Joseph Watson. We'll see you then.